Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hey there. So today, Mark Butler, the money guy, is back, my money friend, and I love to talk about money. I think it's so important to talk about money with, and again, remember, the rule is, or the guideline is, with people who've earned the right to hear your story. Because when we talk about money, we're probably going to feel vulnerable because we have a lot of programming about what money means, about what the rules of money, it's not polite conversation to talk about money. So one is talking about money with people who've earned the right to hear it. Mark and I have uh, pretty similar viewpoints about money, and I really like talking with him. He'll be open and candid about a lot of things. and. Again, I will too, to degree, because again, it goes back to, you know, who's earned the right to hear the story. So what are the specifics that we can go into? And one of the things we're going to talk about is, or the topic of the show today is, what does it take to build a six-figure business? And I want to do that. I've done a lot of shows on entrepreneurship and over the last period of time or so, it's been a lot more on personal development. Um, and I haven't done as much on entrepreneurship, but I mean, I am an entrepreneur and and then there's a lot of, I don't know, and I, maybe it's the way I click on or what they know about Facebook knows about me, but I see a lot of like these businesses, businesses, you know, six-figure business, that's the path, leave your job. And And I've always, even when I used to do a lot of shows about leaving your job, you know, I did a lot of shows about what does it really look that instead of that, leave your job and that net will appear, what does it really look like? So even back in the day when I interviewed Jonathan Fields about career transitions or Marcy Alberher, there was always the practicality of it instead of the advertisement of it, the real behind the scenes. And so we're going to talk about building what it really takes to build a six figure business. We even, we'll talk about concepts and then we'll go into some nuts and bolts and so whether or not you're interested in being an entrepreneur and you have to understand both of our businesses were in this one area of the world, right? He works with coaches and I'm a coach, but it can be applied. I mean, we, I, I try to intersperse like, you know, when we talk about energy and where, when are you at your best? When are you at your sweet spot? So maybe you're a creative artist or a writer in, and it can even be, you know, if you're a teacher you know, when I used to teach at the college, I also knew when my optimum times of of teaching classes were, which ones. And then I tried to, it didn't always work out the case because there's the student needs, there's the facility, and then there's my needs, right? And that's kind of the priorities of how when I would get to recommend scheduling, I would do that. So there would be times that I was teaching night classes in my career. But over time, I learned, okay, where am I optimal? And when you can when you can have some input over that, right? Like for instance, I coach swimming in the evenings because when are kids out of school? In the evenings. I coach, I could, in the mornings, I work out. Years ago, I created this, and we called it the mama monsters or the mama moms and dads. I had some parents who wanted to learn how to swim. And so they, I kept trying to refer them to other places and they weren't doing it and they kept coming back to me. And so finally I just said, I had some time back then in my schedule. I said, okay, we'll do this. And it was like, 
like nine or nine thirty in the morning, two days a week, because I had the time back then. Don't have that time now. And I had a lot of parents who are like, but wait, can you do in the morning? Can you do in the evening? Well, in the evening, that was already blocked out for kids because they can't do 9.30 on a weekday because they're in school. And in the morning, that was my time for myself, right? So could I have created this class? Absolutely. It would have created more income for the team, but it didn't fit within all the other stuff. So as we talk about this, you'll have to go through your own filters of what really works for you and how could you apply maybe some nuggets into your own life. Even if you work in a corporate job, this can be, because it can be, okay, what does it take to build a six-figure business? What does it take to build a six-figure career? That could be the other aspect of it. And there's important nuggets that can apply. So I invite you to take a listen. Thanks so much. And let me know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you have a different perspective and that's valid too. So shoot me an email. So I will circle back after my conversation with Mark. Thanks a lot. Mark Butler, hello and welcome back. Hi, Corinne. Thanks for having me. Always we, fun. We get to talk about money. Mm-hmm. I love talking about money. Me too. All right. So today we're going to talk about what it really takes to build a six-figure business. And it's so funny because as I you know, emailed you about that topic, part of me cringes because I hate that whole idea of a six-figure business. Mm-hmm. Um because I don't think that's the only way to measure success. But I also think it's important for people to start thinking, okay, if that's the level they want to aspire to or even go beyond, like multiple six figures or seven figures, what does it really take and who better to talk to that about than the money guy? <laughs> it's funny because I just, speaking of this idea that, that you know, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't really love to apply a revenue label to, to a business as a measure of success. I just had a client yesterday, and we were uh, we were talking about this, and we were checking in on her annual goal. and And I said, "Well, do we still have the same annual goal? Where Where are you with that?" And she said, "Yeah, I'm still good with that." She said, "By the way, how do you think about that?" And I said, "Well, I don't do that in that way. I build in my plan for the progress I want to make for the year, and then that turns into a revenue plan by accident. But I don't start with the revenue and work backwards. I start with the progress I want to make and build out from there. So you're process oriented then. Okay. Is that what that means? Well, I mean, so it's, it's, you're looking at, okay, what did you say? The The progress, the progress that you want to make over time. And then you do the math and add up at the end of there. What would that equal? Yeah. I have a number in my business. I call it my get ahead number. I think everybody needs to have their get-ahead number. How much money do I want to put toward progress in any given month? Now, progress might mean savings. It might mean debt elimination. It could mean any variety of things. But what is the, what is the amount that all said and done after taxes, after bills are paid, after everything that I want to put toward my, my future? I start there. Then I start to add in the other ingredients that make the business work, and I end up with a revenue number. I love how you talk about ingredients and progress because <laughs> they are ingredients like if you in it because money can, you know, we've talked about money and shame, right? It can create like a number can create so many triggers. But if you think about like, okay, okay here's a rest, recipe. If you want to make one of my favorites, chicken tortilla soup, here mm-hmm. are the ingredients. And then you go on internet and there's, I don't know, 50 different ways to make chicken tortilla soup, right? There's not a right way, but what are the ingredients you may have in your house or that you want to um, ingest and you put it in. And that's, so when you think about money as that, like ingredients, and then you get to decide, you get to be like the cook of your life, I guess. Yeah. It's a recipe and you get to decide 
how it all comes together to produce the thing that you want. Okay. So, but um, yeah, but six figures, I think, is still an interesting and reasonable conversation to have because I've never had a conversation with a person whose goals required much less than a six figure revenue business. So, you know, whatever the ingredients are, if you live in the Western world, the cost of life and the cost of the things you probably want to be, do, and have they usually add up to earning or having six figure business over a period of time. And then eventually you don't have to, if you're saving your money or whatever, but that's why I think six figures is still a valid, a valid starting point for a conversation. Okay. So you and I aren't big fans of the term six figures. So let's everybody, we'll just get over it, but we're talking about money and we're talking about what are the realities behind it. And I think, you know, the purpose of this show or what I like to do is like, let's pull the, the curtain back and see what's back there. And so this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what does it take? Well, it depends first and foremost on the model. It depends on your business, your offer. Um, how many, how many times do I have to hear the word yes in my world to equal 100,000? So if I know, say in my business, I run a retainer-based business and my retainers typically run between 600 a month to as much as 1500 per month, let's say it averages to 1000 And let's say that since I'm a retainer-based business, people hang around for 12 months on average. They actually are hanging around much longer, but you have to start somewhere with your assumptions. So you'd say, okay, well, if it's a $1,000 retainer, and they hang around for 12 months, that means each yes is worth about 12 grand. Mm-hmm. And so how many yeses do I need to get in a year? I need to get about eight and a half yeses. Eight and a half yeses gives me $100,000 in revenue. So that's how we get there. Your business, if your business is a $100 per hour type business, I'm not saying Corinne's business, I'm saying whoever's, whoever's listening. If, you, if you're running a $100 per hour business, then you need $1,000 sessions or $1,000 yeses to arrive at six figures. That's assuming a two, week, uh, two weeks of vacation in the year, 50 weeks, 20 sessions per week, four sessions per day, maybe five sessions per day if you just want to work Monday through Thursday. But that's how you get the six figures. Now, that's the easy math, right, just to divide it all up and say, okay, here's what has to happen. Um, my experience tells me that when people think about building a business of any size, what they don't realize is the the daily, weekly, monthly result, like the number of yeses and the amount of revenue attached to that yes, that is not the goal you actually need to pursue if you want to get to the six-figure revenue or any revenue number. You have to actually walk a couple of steps back and say, how many inputs does it take to produce a yes? Maybe, and when I say inputs, I mean your marketing activities, the thing that things that produce uh, a prospective client or customer that then, you know, some percentage of those prospective clients or customers become, they, they do say yes. The only thing you can control is the amount of activity that you do to create the yes. So if you really want to create a business of any size, you have to work really hard to understand how many 
articles do I have to write? How many uh, events do I have to attend? How many talks do I have to give? How many blog pa- po- I'm sorry, uh, podcasts do I have to produce to get the number of prospects I need to get the number of yeses that I need to get the revenue that I want? That is such an important um, process is to go back to that, right? If, so for you, if it's eight and a half people per year, right? How many people does it take to get, how many things do you have to do to get those eight and a half people? Or to get for one? Me? Yeah. Or want to get one towards the eight and a half people? Because I'm a service provider, I get almost all my business from word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So in the early days of my business, I did do a couple of sponsorships. I sponsored a couple of um, events. And at those events, I met some prospects. I got between those two events, I probably got a total of six or seven clients. And then from there, word of mouth took over and carried me to 40 clients. And then that was too many. And I've backed off to about 30 clients now. So um, for me, the, the marketing piece is actually funny because I'm in a situation where my primary marketing activity is doing a great job for the clients that I already have. So my deliver my marketing deliverables end up being my customer service deliverables, you know, doing what I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it and doing it well. If I ever got in a situation where I had a, an assumed end date, like a closed Let's say I hired people or people hired me for a three or six month engagement or something like that. And then it was over. I could still rely, I think, on some word of mouth, but I think I would have, I would have to switch to more traditional marketing. So I would have to get into a mindset where I'm going to attend four events per year. Um, I'm going to reach out and say hello to three ideal prospects per week. Uh, I'd have to switch more to that mindset. At this point, I just haven't had to because of the word of mouth. Well, and because your engagements typically don't have to end, right? Because right. people are going to probably work with you for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And so then you can be selective because you the capacity that you have to work with these people become such as, like you said, you have the capacity right now for 30. Right, right. Of who could have Mark's brain. <laughs> 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 well, it's 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 mostly a function of the model. And that's why you have to decide what model you want to pursue and you have to experiment with that. My model has great upside in a lot of ways in that I I tend to have long customer relationships so I don't have to do as much marketing. Um the downside sometimes can be that well, sometimes you don't want to be in a really really long-term relationship with a client. Sometimes you'd like to just sort of achieve a specific result, deliver it, and then move on. Also, when you're in a retainer-based business like mine, one of the biggest challenges of the model is you have to constantly keep yourself and your clients in check when it comes to the scope of the service. Because the more comfortable a client gets with you, the easier they find it to drop work on your desk. And, and they do it with the best possible intentions, but you have to very gently remind them, hey, I, that's not in my scope. I see what you need there. I'm just not the person to deliver that particular thing for you. Um, so that can create 
slightly awkward conversation sometimes. Overall, I'm happy with it. Um, but the biggest, the single biggest challenge, is a challenge of my model is that it really doesn't scale because I have 30 clients now. 30 clients is great. I would prefer to go to about 20 clients because there's just only so much of me and I don't want to outsource. I don't want to hire other consultants to work in my agency or whatever. I don't want to pursue that. So for me, the upside of the model is that it's very stable cash flow. doesn't require a lot of marketing effort. The downside is there's a very real ceiling on my revenue, mm-hmm. my ability to create revenue. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's interesting because as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, um, you know, it's like, if you're thinking, if you own a building and you have so many office spaces to rent, that's your capacity, right? right. And so again, like I, I do jokingly say Mark's brain, but really that's what they get. And mm-hmm. how much of your ability, like when can you, where is that right, that sweet spot of your brain working really well that's beneficial to the clients? And, right. you know, and I think that part becomes important because, you know, a lot of times where people are like, oh, the sky, the limit, or we want to leverage and stuff. And mm-hmm. for me, Personally, my well, not personally, but professionally, the relationships that I have, I like that long-term relationship. I mean, whether it's even with my my dental hygienist, I've been going to him for twenty years. I don't see anybody else but him. And the office is great, but I have a relationship with him. He does not shame me if I don't floss my teeth. <laughs> very, very important after spending many years, you know, at dentist or orthodontist. And they'd always be like, well, you know, you're supposed to do this. If you did better, you know, and I was like, oh gosh. So he's always been great. So he's my only person. They know when they call me that I will only see Steve. So that's me. And that's also the kind of business I provide is that I have clients that I work with long term because then I know like the benefit on that is when they are bringing something up, you know, there may be a crisis of the moment. And I'll say, but remember this thing that happened such and such. And, and I have that, I have that historical knowledge. So I'm really a partner, you know, in their life. I can bring their blind, I can show them their blind spots and I have that historical advantage versus if it's just something short term and I'm not going to have all that historical data. Right. Right. And that's, it's great to have achieved that sweet spot. You, you know, you know, who you are, you know who you are in your own business and you know how to be happy inside your own business. I think that it takes experimentation and time to discover that. I think too many aspiring business owners never get out of the sort of blog post reading, um, home study course buying phase of, of entrepreneurship because they're not willing to just pursue a specific model and a certain type of offer until they know that they either love it or not. Mm-hmm. And until they know whether it will actually provide them with an income that sustains them or not. I don't think you can know those things in advance perfectly. I think you can hire coaches to help you see some of the things. And I'm all for that. That's why I, I mean, I recently paid a coach a lot of money to help me think about some stuff that's, uh, that I would like to do in my business. So I'm all for that. But I can only benefit from her coaching because I bring so much data, like you said. I bring so much data from my experience to say, well, here's how I feel when I do this type of work and that type of work. So as you pursue a goal, a certain revenue goal, one of the best things about sticking to it until you reach that goal is you will learn so much about what you like, dislike, and hate 
about about a a certain model on your way to that revenue goal. Um, that is, that is so important because I think what happens for entrepreneurs is like, and, and this happens like you know I have some college students who are clients right now, and they the the pressure of I have to make the right decision, I have to make mm-hmm. the you know, and I have to know it ahead of time, and let me seek the advice of other people so that I don't make the mistake. And and it's fine to hear other people's stories. I mean, that's what the show is about. But I have this new term, Mark. I call it the Karen filters. So I may ask you your opinion about something, but it still needs to go through my filters. Right. Right. It needs to go through. Okay. And again, for me, like I started to notice a pattern of where I work best. Right. I am one of there's there are coaches that look at me and think I'm crazy for having year long engagements. They would yep. never set up their practice this way. This, for my clients, this is a great opportunity for them. They love it and it works for me, right? And so, but it was, again, it was, you know, I'd started my practice. I did certain things certain ways. And then I found this kind of engagement, great. Now, for some people, that's scary. Like, I'm going to commit to you for a year, right? And so maybe they want to start with me monthly and they do that. And then eventually they go to the year. And then I have some people who are like, start with me for a year and we've never even had a phone call. Well, they can't really do that because there needs to be some stuff. But I had a group and it, I had this group and somebody signed up for the year with the group and also some private coaching and that's what happened. Um, mm. So yeah, if you do, if you're a private, if you're a full on private client, I, we need to make sure we're a right fit before we step into that sort of yeah. a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so we both need to make sure that this is a good fit and that, the which you think coaching is because a lot of people get confused and what it is, you know, work. But I think knowing that sweet spot in which you said experimenting, going out there and doing it and starting to go, okay, this is what I like. This is me at my best. This is me not at my best. You know, like when I've had clients or potential clients say, oh, well, I want evening hours. I said, well, that's great, but my brain doesn't work at that time. Right. You, you couldn't get the best of me. And so again, if that's part of what I'm offering to you, that's not a very valuable component for you at that point. There's this beautiful optimization. Optimization is a word that gets too used, but, but you know, when you say people want to talk with you in, in the evening, in the early days, I think you have to say yes to those things because you're still in that internship phase mm-hmm. and that experimental phase, and you're trying to figure out when you're happiest and how you're happiest. And then as time goes on and the longer you, you do the work that you're doing, you realize the subtle changes you can make to the work that you're doing to make it even better and healthier and more profitable. I've done the same thing with my clients where I, uh, with my clients and we have periodic meetings, my clients will say, Hey, can you talk on Friday? Nope. I can't talk on Friday. I don't talk on Friday. It's not something I do. Except Um, to me. (laughs) Except to Corinne. Other than that, I don't talk on Friday. Um, but really, but this what's interesting is I consider this sort of like this recharges me. This doesn't cost me anything mentally or emotionally. Uh-huh. But client work does uh-huh. carry, you know, it carries a cost. Uh-huh. And so I'm I've been very intentional about you know when I bring on a new client for a, a retainer and we're going to have a monthly call. I say you can talk to me on the first Monday, the first Wednesday, the second Wednesday, or the second Thursday of the month. Those are your four choices. Which of those? you prefer. Okay, great. By the way, the latest we can start our appointment is three o'clock PM Eastern time. 
I'm not in Easter time, but I kind of use it as a universal reference because after about one o'clock in the afternoon, my time, my brain goes to mush and I'm just going to watch Netflix. Let's be honest. So, <laughs> so I don't set appointments anymore <laughs> if I can possibly help it because I'm not, I'm not on my game at that point. And it used to be really scared to ask those kinds of things of my clients, but that fear in that particular uh, circumstance helped me because as I said yes to lots of things, I found out what didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So there was a, I can't, I want to give credit because I heard this from somebody else on a, on a podcast recently and I can't think who said it, but, but the, the, the idea was basically in the early days, you do need to give yourself an opportunity to get a little bit overwhelmed so you can discover what really overwhelms you and what doesn't, where you're good, where you're not good, and then start to adjust accordingly. That's why it's so brutal if you never get out of dream mode where you're reading blog posts, buying home study courses, planning. If you never get out of that, you'll never actually find out what really doesn't work for you and does. And so well, you'll never – go ahead, go ahead. It's, it's what Stephen Pressfield says. You, know, you have to do the work. Right. And right. as you do the work and you have to do the work and be willing to make mistakes. And I mean, obviously, you and I don't want to make mistakes with our clients. So that's what I'm saying. But you start to because I think when I first started out, there was late evening calls or not late evening, but five o'clock client sessions or six o'clock. And there's no way I will do a five or six. My brain is not working anymore. But right. I, I had to go through that experience. And then, you know, and I worked really hard to deliver it. So I still delivered, but the amount of energy that it consumed was exhausting. Yeah. Right. And so, and I think that's what we're talking about is like, okay, when people can work with us in our prime and what, and it doesn't even have to be like you and I are service providers, right? We work one-on-one with people, but if you're, you're an artist or you're a writer or a musician or whatever, when are you in operation at your best? And so like, even for me, creatively, I do my podcasts or my shows in the morning. I it, it, because in the evening my brain doesn't work. That that is the time for me to be on the pool deck because my brain can get re-energized by being around other people and kids and all yeah. of that, right? Yeah. And but in the morning that is a great that's a great alone time for me. And I really work on that for like when I do my minisodes or when I do interviews, I try to get them all done in the mornings on Fridays. And then that what? way my brain is not taxes. I think it's important for, for people listening here to understand too, that in my opinion, you, you need to have the pressure of money and delivery on the, on that creative time to discover which creative time actually works for you. Here's what I mean. Uh, If let's say that I'm not in a stage where I'm actually asking people to pay me for things and I'm trying to discover what are my most productive hours well, I think you can make some discoveries, you know, like some people say, well, I write best late at night. And um, so I usually write from 10 at night till two in the morning, which I think is pretty common with write, writer types, um, programmers, people like that. But I think you have to get yourself in a situation where you're being paid for the work because having the pressure of delivery when you're being paid changes the feeling you know, it changes that energy that you're bringing to that work at different t- different times of the day, different times of the week. So 
again, you just said it. You've got to do the work. You've got to get paid. You've got to ask people to pay you to introduce that pressure so you understand when you're best under that particular pressure. So for me, it just continues to come back to whatever revenue goal, revenue goal you have, pick a path, pursue that path to success, even pursue it to feeling a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit overworked, and then, then start to really discern where am I happiest? How am I best? How do I do my best work? Because ultimately where we need to end up is a business that pays you the amount of money you need and want and keeps you healthy and happy. Um, the, not, not too many people actually have both of those things. What do you mean? A business that provides them the living they want, but also health and balance and satisfaction. Why is that? Because they skew too much in one direction. So people people will pursue either side too far. So on the money side, take me a few months ago, where if you were willing to pay me, I would say yes. Oh, you'll hire me? Great. I'll take you on. I didn't really give any consideration to my capacity, the number of hours I was working. I was, I was very, very revenue focused. And that had benefits because my revenue climbed quickly. And I was, I'm, you know, I'm able to save money and make progress in my finances, and I have all these good things happening. But you know, classic cliche, I was having to get up and work early in the morning. Um, I was having to work late at night, and it was becoming an all-consuming thing. So I did let myself get into that overwhelmed position, and I learned from it. And what I learned was the parts of my business I like and the parts of my business that I, that I don't. And I started to use my pricing to throttle my client count. But for the time, for that time, I was pursuing revenue almost at all cost. And that gets unhealthy for obvious reasons. It's also unhealthy to per- pursue an idea of balance at all cost. And what I see, what I, when I say balance, I'm kind of throwing up air quotes around that because for some people, balance actually means not working. <laughs> That's what they mean when they say, well, I need to have balance. What they mean is I don't really want to do anything hard. So, the reality of not being willing to do hard work over an extended period of time is you will not have the income you need to, to, to live the life that you want and that you need. And what I mean by that is if you're not willing to do hard work over an extended period of time, there's no way you're going to produce the income that you need to have the savings you need to eventually have the choice not to work. So the balance comes in making enough money and staying healthy and just sort of having those things be your two scales. And you sort of, those things are kind of constantly leveling each other out, but neither one can be neglected. Well, first off, let me talk about balance because I have a lot to say about that. Okay. <laughs> when I started this show back in 2006, however many years ago, you can do the math, um, it was because I was sucking at life balance, work balance, you know, and I thought, ah, oh, I really wanted a radio show that could teach me about balance. And when I talked to the executive director of the station, I said, can you create this show? Because I, I really need it. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously said that. because I was like, I'm messing up ball. Like I can't keep all the balls in the air anymore. Things are breaking. I need somebody to teach me about balance because I'm doing it the wrong way. 
And she said, well, you should pitch the station and, and create a show. I was like, I don't know anything about radio. What could I do? So now we're close to probably 500 episodes. And, you know, what I've learned is through all the experts that I've talked to, all the entrepreneurs, you know, all the research, I don't believe in balance, this whole pursuit of life balance. I think there's professional and personal integration and mm-hmm. in how you integrate it in a day-to-day life. And then the other thing that I've had to overcome is this like workhorse because I'm pretty tenacious. I mean, I have this um, hardcore work ethic and and I still, you know, work a lot. Um, but I'm not a factory, right? I can't think, oh, my, I should be in operation from seven in the morning until seven o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night or midnight or whatever. And I'm going to be functioning the same as I was at seven in the morning. That's just not possible. So I've had to look at, okay, what is the ebb and the flow of the week look like? In Fridays, I tend to be more tired than on Mondays, right? Mm-hmm. And like you said, Fridays, I can do these interviews because it's fun to connect and I don't have to have, I mean, I have some leadership energy, but not like I do with a client or even not like how I do it with the athletes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I check in to see where am I just emotionally? How am I doing? How's my well-being doing? And what buckets need to be filled, right? And then I look at that along with my to-do list. So this whole idea of balance, you know, and you said it, it's balance typically is people not wanting to work, right? Like when people have this pursuit of balance, I mean, balance means you're staying still. You're not moving. Mm. And, And really where growth comes from is when we go through struggle. Now, we don't need, I used to be a really good drama queen. We don't need to have struggle 24-7, <laughs> right? Because that's right. exhausting. Right. But having knowing when we're going to have struggle. So like for me, again, there is some struggle in, a, in, a, in an interview, right? That happens because you don't know what the guest is going to say. Where is this going to lead? So my brain is really working. Whereas Friday afternoon, my brain is done. This yeah. is where I can answer emails, like the stuff that's not as important. And so, again, the whole idea of balance is I think we sometimes look at like financial pie charts and think that's the way our life should work Mm -hmm. instead of kind of like, what is the flow over the course of a day? What is the flow over the course of a week? You know, maybe over the course of a month look like. And, you know, where, where do you maybe need to be refueled and where can you extend yourself? And again, there's also this idea of like living in the real world. I mean, sometimes, you know, there is, I don't really have crisis in my coaching business, but like, you know, when you're having lead an organization such as I do, all of a sudden there's something that may be out of your control that you have to have a meeting with a facility or something, you know, or there's a kid that is in a situation or, you, you know, the, so there's those things that become the boundaries are more blended, if that makes sense. I think the, uh, I hadn't heard it put that way. I think the word integration is so much better. I have often thought, when people talk a lot about work-life balance, I always think to myself, you must not like your job. You must not like the work you do if you, if you feel like you have to really partition, you know, like get away from it so aggressively. When, and that's how I feel people are, are talking when they're saying this work-life balance thing. Like, well, I got to get away from that. Well, I like to be integrated. I, I find myself I find myself thinking about my work when I'm not doing my work, but I'm not thinking about it in a negative way. It's, it's a, it's creative, it's engaged. It's, you know, it's aspirational. Um, I'm excited to get back to work when I'm not working. And I'm also excited to stop working when I'm, you know, when I stop working at any given moment, it's like, well, 
I'm going to stop working right now and go throw the football with my kid. That feels integrated to me. And I think that's, that's a great way to put it. But I, I, what I really like is what you said about struggle, because when we talk about the whole theme of this conversation, reaching a certain revenue level, I think it's really important for everybody listening to understand that whatever you read, whatever sales copy lands in your inbox is mostly what I'm saying. <laughs> Anybody who has achieved sustainably a, a high, you know, what, what seems like a high amount, a high re- level of revenue, they struggle for it. They struggle. They, they're, the struggle is never over for them. So if they convey an attitude of, I've got it all figured out and it's all easy at this point and I just flip it all on autopilot or whatever. It's just not true. And and the reality is you wouldn't want it to be true because the struggle is where the growth happens. So you've got to figure out what struggle you enjoy and, and works for you. And you've got to stick with it usually longer than you think you'll have to, to achieve any living, any given goal. And that's important because I think that 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 lie of, oh, it just happened and it was so easy. And sometimes it is. Like sometimes, you know, you can get a kid in the pool and they can swim rather easily or it looks like success happens, you know, because maybe they have the coordination at that age. But I can guarantee this. If they swim long enough, they are going to have struggles. They will have challenges, especially if they're swimming for me, because we will make sure that there will be challenges because that's where the development happens. Because you kind of hit a fork in the road, and this happens in entrepreneurship, where you can either get defeated by those struggles and shut down, or you can decide, okay, these are struggles, what can I learn from this, and then move forward. And maybe sometimes it's time to get rid of these clients, or you know what, this isn't work that you know I really love. I can do it, but I don't really love it. And it can even be you know those who work in a professional work setting, like in corporate America, So I have clients going through this, like they've been able to do this and been good at it for so long, but they're ready to pivot to the next thing. And and there is going to be struggle, but instead of looking at struggle as a bad thing, look at it as a challenge. I mean, that's a growth opportunity. And and I can say this today because I'm really well rested. (laughs) If it was a few days ago, I'd be like, I don't want any challenges. I just want it to be easy. (laughs) I know. I know. It's true. I'm I'm reminded of... uh, I had a professor when I was in school and he was a retired guy, but he was very young. Some sort of Southern California real estate situation had, had made him independently wealthy at a really young age. And he told, he was an accounting professor at this point by the time I was in his, you know, in his presence. And he said, yeah, I, you know, I was rich. And so I was like, I'm going to just play golf every day <laughs> and played golf every day for a year. And he said, at the end of that year, I had never been so depressed uh-huh. and I was miserable. So I had to go figure out what my struggle was going to be. And so he got into teaching. He was teaching, you know, entry level accounting at a university and loving it. You're struggling again. So you, you have to, I think that in order to be happy, you have to embrace the idea of struggle in order to create and sustain any revenue level. You have to embrace the struggle behind that revenue. Mm-hmm. And it's too easy for me and for a lot of other people who might want to offer you stuff to say, like I could, for example, I could, I could make it look like for me to, to create 
the business that I have now is really no struggle at all. For example, I could say, well, actually, all my business comes from word of mouth. So that's pretty easy. But, and I could even point to, oh, I was on this podcast one time. It was a, it was actually, this is a true story, different podcast. I was on this podcast. And after this podcast, um, you know, I got two clients and that's worth about $30,000 a year in revenue to me. And see how easy that was? There's no struggle there. Mm-hmm. But, but then you walk backwards and you say, what, what happened that allowed me to even be on that podcast in the first place and be the person on that podcast who could say the things I said to appeal to the people who hired me and then to have them stick with me and then have them refer their friends. All of that could only happen because of the struggle that started in 2004 when I got into the working world in the first place and was in commission sales and was terrible at it for a while and then got good at it and then learned copywriting. And then I mean, all these things that I went through that were struggle and painful and stressful set me up for that one moment on that one podcast so that I could have the result of having these people pay me and have it be worth $30,000 a year. But I could cheat and I could, I could write a little copy and I could say, well, I'm going to teach you how to get on podcasts. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it's going to be so easy. And you're like, see, it's not a struggle. Look how easy it was for him. And I bought his ebook about it. Mm-hmm. But the reality was my ebook would have to have this very honest preface like start 10 years ago, suck at everything for quite a while, make a mess of it all, learn stuff, fast, you know, fast forward, then you finally get to the, get to this result. But I'm I'm grateful for that struggle and I I engaged in that struggle the whole time. And you want that. You have to do that. Stay in the struggle so you can have whatever result that could produce five years, 10 years from now, while it's also paying your bills today. Mm-hmm. Well, this, yeah, I, again, you know, a few days ago, I didn't want any struggle, you know, <laughs> but I was also really tired. My energy was depleted. And, and today, even though I've been up since 445, I'm revived, <laughs> right? Like I have energy, I'm just excited. And, and I really embrace the struggle. So a lot of times it goes back to the mindset, which we've talked about and which I talk about so often is what are the stories you're going to tell yourself about the struggle? What do you make it mean? And, yeah. in, and I think this is an important concept about what it takes to build a six-figure business is that, and for any level of success in anything, in any arena, is that there's going to be struggle. A marriage, there's going to be struggle. If you are a parent, you will get your butt kicked and struggle. <laughs> right? Because as soon as you think you've mastered it the, it, the kids are doing like a 180. I remember when my kids were little, I was like, yes, I figured out the sleep thing or I figured out this, the bedtime routine, right? Like I've got it. We And then boom, they would change it. So the, and now I have teenagers and that's a whole nother struggle. But when you can yep. embrace the struggle and say, okay, this is it. What can I learn from this? And how do I move forward? You know? I, that becomes really important. And that's, I think, an important aspect about this whole six-figure business. I keep putting the quotes up because I really don't like that term. But, <laughs> right. you know, is is the embrace the struggle that we were talking about. So I'm glad that you pointed that out because that's really important. Absolutely. Now, these things are all pretty conceptual. You know, what we've talked about, embracing the struggle and and we've talked about picking an offer, sticking with the offer. These are all conceptual. But if people want want me to be very nuts and bolts for a minute here. Yes. Having worked with as many business owners as I have, I have some things to say about what I think it takes to get to any level of revenue sustainably. Um, now, you know that my my world is mostly the coaching world, and so 
Go with it. Go with I what ho- you there you know. I hope this, yeah, I hope this is useful to other people, but I'm, I'm speaking from my context. So I will say that the average person gets into my world and what they really, what they're really excited by is the idea that they could produce something once and be paid for that thing many times. I write an ebook, sell the ebook for 50 bucks. I sell a thousand of those. That's $50,000. I sell 2000. That's a hundred thousand dollars per year income. So they really think, okay, I'm going to figure out how to sell eBooks because I really like the lifestyle that provide me. Me too, by the way. I think that's a great fantasy that we would all <laughs> – and I don't mean fantasy like impossible, but fantasy like, yes, I think that's, a, that's an interesting ideal to pursue. The nuts and bolts reality of it is I don't have any clients who, who are now – earning multiple six figures or seven figures who started there. They started in very much of a, they treated their business like a day job and they showed up and they did work every single day for a long period of time. And for the clients who are coaches, I actually can't think of any of them that didn't start doing, start out by doing private one-on-one work. Most of them session based, meaning uh, $80, $80 per session, $100 per session, $150 per session, and building what you would typically call a practice as opposed to a business. A business having this, this connotation of, like, I have these all these various products and I have marketing channels and all these things. They had a practice where they had a group of clients that came to them often for support and insight and they paid somewhere between $80 and $150 an hour, and they did that day in and day out for years. That is struggle, but it's also very nuts and bolts if you're wondering, well, how do I actually get to a sustainable income stream? Should I be starting a blog? Should I be, what, you know, should I be selling an ebook? Should I be optimizing my, my free downloadable product on my website? Like, what's the thing? Well, the thing is figuring out what you have to do to get one person to sit down and talk with you for an hour so you can support them and give them insight for $100 or $150. And then you have to do the thing that got them in the room in the first place. You have to do that thing over and over and over and over and over again until you get to the point that you have too many people wanting to consume one hour of your time for $150. And then you either say it's $250 or you shift into more of a group program thing and then as there are more and more people aware of you, then, then maybe you think about launching digital products. But your, your business will actually tell you when these changes need to happen. And if you're ever sort of trying to force these changes into your business, I don't think it's going to go great. So being very nuts and bolts, do private one-on-one work and do it over and over and over until the business demands that you change. Is that useful? No, that's very, very good. Um, because one, it's, it goes back to what I said earlier, the Stephen Pressfield, do the work, right? Go and do the work that it is that you want to do. And, um, and instead of thinking, what's the easiest way? Let me leverage it. Right. It's how do I do the work? And then what starts to happen is you start to figure out what, is like I come up with terms like I have that Karen filter, right? That's the latest this week. But as I do this work and, and I'm helping clients, I come up with stuff where now, you know, if I 
would block out time. I could probably write a book that would be effective. You know, I just don't block out the time for something like that because I don't want to go through that struggle, Mark. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Which means you probably should. It's probably the best thing for you if it's the thing that makes the best possible use of your time and it is scary and sounds like a hassle. That's what you got to do, Corinne. (laughs) Yeah. Because it probably means that you're way too in your comfort zone. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. But but let's use you as an example or let's use not you. I mean you are an example of someone where the business is kind of pushing on you to say, Corinne, your available hours are full or close to full. Mm-hmm. But there's – so there's this excess demand for your particular talent and expertise. So now your business is pushing back on you and saying, what's the next evolution? What's the next – best way to get as much Corinne as possible to the people who need her. The business is demanding it. The person who's on day one, I'm sorry, but the market, you know, the the world doesn't yet, emphasis on yet, care Mm -hmm. because you haven't proven that it should care. You prove that it should care by doing the work until enough people are coming to you to say, yeah, you this is, you are trans, you're a transformational person. I want to be in your presence, AKA, sorry to toot your horn, but Corinne. So people get these things backwards and the benefit of doing the kind of work that you've done for the amount of time that you've done it is you actually have become a phenomenal coach by virtue of coaching for so many years. I mean, I could learn tons, tons and tons from you about coaching because you have done the work. People want to get those things out of order. And I think not only does that show up in them, well, it shows up in them being ineffective coaches because they try to skip the hard work, but then in being ineffective, that shows up in their paycheck because they're not going to attract people because they're not delivering greatness. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I think these are really good nuts and bolts. Like, do it as a day job. You have to be committed. You have to have your office hours. And I yep. think for entrepreneurs, that can be really hard um, because, you know, one of the, and I don't know if you hear this a lot, but I hear people say, oh, you know, I want, I want to have the freedom of my schedule, right? I want to control my own thing. And it actually, and I'm starting to realize this is that I used to hate the word disciplined because I didn't think I was disciplined, but I realized like, I'm really disciplined. Like I have my now that I work for myself, those are period the hours done, right? Like I, I'm very protective of my working schedule hours, Yeah, you know, to the point where like, I won't even go do a mammogram during my working hours. I will do it in the evening or I'm going to go do it tomorrow morning on a Saturday morning because I'm really protective of that. Right. Versus when I was an employee, when I mean, you have your sick time and, you know, you could schedule. I've always been, I mean, for the work that I did, because when I was a swim coach at a college, I told my assistants that there are no such thing as sick days in coaching. <laughs> <laughs> so that it's kind of a story when I say I, I wasn't disciplined because I was like, no, we are sick. We still come. So there's always been that kind of ingrained in me, but I think even more so. So even though there's not this external force of, of a practice, you know, like a swim practice or classes I'm teaching, These are the hours that I'm operating and I work really hard to stay within that. And then the other thing I think I do is I, and how I'm able to do that is I also give myself permission on Saturdays and Sundays. I don't work on those days. Yeah. 
right? At least not for my coaching practice. For the swim team's another another situation, but that's the nature of the sports world. Um, but so I have that time to do whatever, and sometimes it's less structured, and that's okay. Um, but so I think these are important concepts that you've talked about, or nuts and bolts of you know have a date, do it as a day job, do the work for a long period of time, and and then as you get get that experience, then you can think about leveraging. You know, and then you have to decide, do you like to work in large group formats or do you like to work, you know, how you want to work, you right. get to decide that. You'll I mean, discover it. You'll discover that your truth about those things as you do the work. Yeah. And and there is, I mean, I do think how like how phenomenal it is that you can create, like once you get to a certain level in your life, I mean, I couldn't do this right out of college, right? I didn't have any expertise or experience but how I can create a profession where I don't do a whole lot of traveling. You know, my, my traveling engagements are very limited and, and my and same with my speaking. I'll, I'll do some speaking, but it be, it's around certain sectors of time that I'll do it and also certain distances that I'll do it. Um, and where there's some people that really love to travel and they can create that kind of a lifestyle for them. I mean, I think that's the beautiful thing about this world of work that we now live in you know, that Dan Pink has been talking about since whenever he wrote that book about the world of work. Um, but so it's been something that's been ongoing. We we do get to create it, but it's also about knowing what is your sweet spot. So not what's Mark's or mine, but what's yours. And you only find it in the work. You can't sit in a chair and think really hard and discover that truth for yourself. It, you can't. You have to do the work <laughs> to discover it. And that's what people don't want to admit. They don't want to own the fact that you have to do stuff and discover that you hate it in order to truly understand what you love. And, and that, I mean, I was co- we, I'm with an executive coaching team and we have a, a, a contract with some co- a college, a university, and so we're working with their students. And it's so interesting because the questions that I get from the students are very black and white. You know, because they want the right answer. And I say, well, an internship is about going out and it's an experiment. Is this something that you like to do? What are you learning? Right. Because it's also about you learning a skill set that, and is this a, is this what, so you're going out and you get to practice. And it's not like you're getting married for the next 40 years. Right. It's a short term engagement. It may be nine weeks, 12 weeks. I mean, it's going to depend, but it's a short term engagement either for free or for maybe lower pay. And you get some job training and you get to experience it and they'll get you for maybe less labor, you know, and to do stuff and then you get to test it out. And I think that part becomes really important. So even for people who, you know, maybe are in the career world, right, the corporate world, um, and they're thinking of, I want to do something else. So maybe they're not coaches, right, but they want to do something else. Well, you can, what can you do? Like I love, my friend Pam Slim says, you know, have a side hustle. Mm-hmm. And go and experiment because you can have this idea of what it is, but I can tell you my idea of what my coaching practice was going to look like and how, what it looks are very different. I thought I would want to speak a lot and travel a lot. And the thing is, is that I kept traveling and I'd have all this dread the night before I was traveling. <laughs> I'm like, oh. and I was, and I started to notice that I was always just cranky before I was traveling. So I don't like to travel. It took me probably three years to figure this out. I'm not, I'm a slow learner. So it took me a while. And finally I was like, wait, I don't like to travel. I don't like to be away from my family. 
So now I'm more selective about my engagements. And again, I'm looking at my engagements between now and through middle of May. And I'm like, oh gosh, here we go again. How did these things get on my <laughs> calendar? And I put them on there, right? Um, and so I've, there's some stuff I've said definitely no to because he, again, it's another thing of travel and I weighed it and it wasn't worth it for that opportunity. So, but again, that took me three years to figure out. And I, I mean, I think I'm a relatively intelligent person. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. But for me to all of a sudden pay attention going, ooh, I like the idea of travel when maybe the arrangements were being booked or, you know, the negotiations were happening. <laughs> right. But when it happened, ooh. <laughs> right. And you had to do it to know. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't have, you know, I wouldn't, the idea that I had in the reality, there was a huge gap. So I had to do it. So thank you so much, Mark, for being here today. Always fun. Very fun. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that was the conversation about what it takes to build a six-figure business. And remember, it can also be what does it take to build a six-figure career? And one thing that I want to say is understand the why. Why do you want to build this kind of an income stream in your life? What, what is the promise of that? And really dig into that because I think that's something that we didn't address that's really important when you set these kind of goals because it's going to, you know, is it because you're going to be more well-liked, you're going to have more financial freedom, but really how much money do you need? And, and it's not just that number, but like what is the lifestyle that you want to have and how much do you need really need to make it? So that was something we didn't address, but I think is a really important conversation to go through with yourself, go through your own filters. It's my new favorite thing, as you can tell. And then looking at that to decide, okay, I want to make six figures. Why do I want to make six figures? How am I going to do that? And then after you make it, evaluate, how did this work? What are some tweaks? Because it's always about making the tweaks in our life. You know, how do we pivot? What can we change? But he did, we made some really good points about doing the work. Like, I like what Mark had to say of like, do it as a day job, show up and do it, treat it professionally, whatever you do, whatever career you're doing, even if you're, you know, one of my girlfriends, um, we talk about this, but when she was in high school, I think she worked at the local grocery store and she's like, whatever I did, I did it to my best. If that meant putting the shopping carts away. So whatever job you're doing, even if it's a stepping stone job or it's an entry job, or maybe it's a job to pay the bills to go to school, whatever your circumstance, do it with your own full integrity. Do it the way that you would. Start practicing being that professional that you want to be in a year, two, three, five years down the road. Be that person now. Because then when you get there, you already have that part down and you can deal with the other areas of struggle, right? So doing work that matters. And if that means you're making the best cup of coffee and you take a lot of, and take a lot of pride in that, make the best cup of coffee. Or if you're putting together multi-million dollar, you know, deals, then, then do it with that. Whatever the situation is, right? Do it with, do it as your best. Okay. I'm going to do a shout out to no Nick name number two from Australia because I'm out of US iTunes reviewers and I'm out of Canadian iTunes reviewers. So here now I'm with the Aussies. I apologize. It's taken me so long, but we're going back to February of 2015. So thank you so much for leaving a review. And I'm going to be going through the Australian iTunes reviews. If you want to get a shout out, go leave an iTunes review. You can click on the show notes and that'll take you there. And I know it's a struggle, but it's so worth it. So thank you. I appreciate you so much. And join our community at howshereallydoesit.com. And you'll get a weekly newsletter from me um, about the show. There'll be some 
uh, love letter that I write to all of you out there. So I invite you to join that. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Take care. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide